Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Um, so we are continuing in our series on uh, living a life on mission. And last week we saw that, um, that we were called, right? That we were sent by God to live on mission. And that we were sent just as Jesus was sent. That he, he actually tells us that, that I'm sending you just as the Father sent me. And so we, we dissected what that meant. And, it, and obviously, in, in some sense, we're, we're not anything like Jesus was sent, right? In, in, in uh, how he was sent. And that he was incarnate, God, right? Dwelling in flesh as a servant, right? Like, but why? The why is the same. We... we were sent by God to what? What did we say last week? Come on. Come on. This is actually, I'm testing the class here. Why, why are we sent? To make God known? Make him known? Oh. All right. Uh, no. So, so that's it, right? To make God known. Like, that's, that's the point. That's why we live. That's, I, I actually tried to set it up last week when everybody wonders what the meaning of life is. That's it. And then you guys forgot it in a week. And I'm just joking. <laughs> I tease. Um, and, and so what we saw was that, right, like as we live our lives, we are to make God known in, in the way that, that he lives inside of us, that, that we have the Holy Spirit. And, and so now we live in a different way. Our, our actions matter. Our words matter because we're reflecting God in the circumstances, as, 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 in as much as he sees fit to reflect himself in us, in this marred, jacked up reflection of God, right? Because through us is also a nasty, sinful na nature, right? And so in the midst of that, though, in God's grace and mercy, he sends us and he uses us. And so we, we sing songs then sings my soul, right? As we're, as we're thinking about who God is and that he cares for us enough, that he loves us, that he wants to partner with us, that's unfathomable. And I know it's just ordinary because we're just used to it. We, we hear this all the time. But this isn't ordinary. And in fact, this morning what we're gonna see is that it's anything but ordinary. And that who we are as adopted children of God is a is distinct. We're not just like the rest of the world with a little bit of moral flavor added in. That's not what we are at all. We are temples, right? Like we have the indwelling Holy Spirit in us for a reason, for a purpose, so that we can go make God known. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to start in Acts chapter 1. Um, the verses are going to be on the screen. If you guys have got a Bible, or your phone out, you can do that. Um, we'll be primarily reading from the ESV. But first, um, I'm Jonathan. I didn't introduce myself. I'm Jonathan, one of the pastors here. If you're a guest, welcome. Um, let, me, uh, let me pray, and then we'll get started. Father, it is humbling to know that you care for us, that you wrote these words down, for us. You preserve them for us. And you use them to teach us. God, I pray that this morning that, um, 
that I would not be an obstacle to that. And that as I speak up here, I speak in a manner of one who has witnessed you and has experienced you. And I pray that as we all read through your word, that you would just be real in our lives. That you would remind us that you work in us. You love us. You shape us. You convict us. You bring us peace and contentment. You bring us joy. Remind us of that, Father. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Acts chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start in verse 6. So the, the context, this is, this is Jesus has risen from the grave 40 days. He's with the disciples. He's out and around, and he's speaking and, and teaching post-crucifixion, right? And, we're, and in verse 6, we're actually, this actually overlaps with the end of Luke, which we're going to see here in a second. And, and oh, by the way, it's the same author, right? And so Luke intentionally overlaps the gospel of Luke with the Acts of the Apostles. And, and Jesus' ascension, which is what we call that when, when Jesus went back to heaven, is, is mentioned in both. And they kind of give different flavors, and yet it was the same author, which is kind of cool. And so this is where we're at. And so these are Jesus' words uh, to the disciples as, as they come together. And the, the disciples, the disciples are excited at this point, right? And if you remember back in the Gospels, right, when Jesus was crucified and died, they were not excited. They were like, their bubble had been burst. What they thought was going to happen didn't happen. They thought he was going to be the king. They thought that he was going to reign and rule. And he thought that, they thought that this was it. And then he died. And so they were sad, and they were upset, and they were wondering, what did I do for the last three years of my life? What did I give up? And then, of course, three days later, Jesus rises from the grave, and now they're like, okay. And so listen to what they say in verse 6. He says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's a good question, because that's exactly what they thought was the next step, right? The Messiah came. Here we go. It's game time. We're going to overthrow the Romans. We're going to win. Like, this is, this is it. Like, the consummation of all of the Old Testament, everything that they had known, everything that they had talked about every Sabbath, this was it. This was the time that it was going to happen. In their minds, they're like, we're done. Listen to what he says to them in verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but... You will receive power, right? Because there's a little bit of power in there. There's probably a little bit of sinful nature in there. They're like, are we going to win now? <laughs> Do we get to win, right? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so what Jesus says is, no, you're right, you're going to get some power, but it's not the power you were thinking of. 
It's not this power to reign and rule. This isn't the time that you're going to be sitting on the thrones, judging the nations, all those things that that had been prophesied in the past. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit fills you. And what's going to happen? You'll be my witnesses. That's what the power is going to do. That's what the Holy Spirit is going to do in you, to be a witness. And so that's what I want us to think about today is you will receive power in order to be a witness. The Holy Spirit, right? We talk about this often, right? The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Why? To convict us of sin, our comforter, right? Like this is, these are the things that we often use to describe the Holy Spirit and dwelling in us and the why behind it. But this is very clear, Jesus says, it's for us to be witnesses. Let me dissect this a little bit. If you turn back to Luke chapter 24, this is the overlapping part of this in verse 45. Same, same context. Jesus is getting ready to ascend. And listen to what it says. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Okay. Three years. Three years the disciples have been with Jesus, walking with him, listening to the parables, right? All, everything, watching him heal. And now, now is when he opens up their minds and enables them to understand the scriptures. What does this mean? That means that if God doesn't open our minds to understand the scriptures, we won't. That's what that means. Don't, don't take this, this isn't casual. This is very clearly God's power, and I'll make the claim that it's his Holy Spirit, helps you and me understand Scripture. Those who don't know Christ, who don't trust in him, who have not been born again, who are not adopted children, they can't understand the Scriptures. I know that sounds weird, and it sounds like a circular argument, doesn't it? This is why there's Bible professors in secular universities who are atheists. It exists. You guys know that, right? It totally took me back like 10 years ago when I found that. I was like, wait, you're a Bible professor, but this isn't a religious class? This isn't a Christian class? No, I'm just an expert on the Bible. How does that happen? How does that happen? I lost where I was at. (laughs) Okay. Verse 40, uh, yeah, verse 46. And, he, and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. What was the promise? Go back to John chapter 17. Jesus says, I'm gonna leave and what am I gonna send? The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, right? This is the promise of the Father. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So you see this this beautiful overlapping of Luke chapter 24 and Acts 1, right? As Jesus is speaking this, he's saying the same thing. He's talking about this and he's going, just wait here. Don't go and witness yet. That's what he says. Don't go anywhere. You're gonna go to the ends of the earth. But for right now, I need you to stay in Jerusalem. Just hang tight for a second. You need to wait for the Holy Spirit. It's very clear. The Holy Spirit is who gives us power to understand scriptures and to witness. You guys get that? You guys buy that? Okay. 
So we are witnesses. And so let's, so I, I think, let, let's break down a little bit real quick what, what, what is a witness, right? We don't, we don't use this term very often to describe ourselves as, as followers of Christ, but we are witnesses. Um, it's very distinct from like an advocate. And I, I, I wrestled around with this other word for a long time, but so I'll try to describe an advocate. An advocate is honestly me mo- most of the time. An advocate, be, just because I'm a, I'm a bit more um, just uh, analytical, and so I think about the facts. It's just a big puzzle piece, puzzle for me, and I grab facts and I put them together, and I, I, I make logical deductions, and I go, and therefore, Jesus rose from the grave. We can do that, right? We can say, what's the most, how do you explain this? How do you explain God's word being preserved for 2,000 years unaltered? How do you explain Jesus rising from the grave? How do you explain these things that, that when they're writing these things, everybody was still alive and they knew, and if they wanted to put it down, it would have just been done, but it didn't. How do we explain these things? And so I analytically deduce that, that this is the most coherent, it's the most concise and most real answer to that dilemma, to the dilemma of why we are created. That's my argument. But that doesn't mean anything because it's just the collection of facts. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, when we were 16, Melissa and I got into a car accident, okay? Um, well, I was the responsible party of the said car accident. I think I might have talked about this before. But, um, um, and so it, we were in San Diego, and it was a kind of a windy road. I mean, not, <clears throat> not super windy. It rained, which is a little bit more rare in San Diego. And so the roads were wet, and the road just had this kind of switchback. Like, it wasn't that big of a deal. It kind of went down. I may or may not have driven just a little bit over the speed limit. Not a lot. <laughs> Seriously, it wasn't really a lot. Right, honey? It wasn't that bad. And... Um, and, and so what had happened was, uh, as I came around the first corner, the tail came out from the car. Uh, it was like a 1983 Toyota Celica, it slides out, I overcorrect, we come back this way, and we go this way, right? And we go backwards, we're now facing the way we were coming from, sliding sideways, hit the curb, flipped, hit a light pole, spun onto the side street, and, rest, and came to a rest. Climbed out the back window, upside down, did I say that? Yeah, flipped, yeah, yeah. And I uh, climbed out the back window and just a couple of scratches. Um, now, I was a witness to this, right? <laughs> like very, anyway, what I can tell you is that the blinker was on when we were hanging by our seatbelts. Like the radio was on, the blinker was going click, 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 click. <laughs> I just remember that. Now, I can get out and I can tell the story. I can't explain all of the whys, though. I don't know exactly what I did or, or how it happened, but I can tell you what I felt. Melissa, I think, blacked out during it, right? I, think, I don't think you really remember much. Um, so now a police officer shows up. And they go, well, let me put the facts together. Okay, you ended here. Tire marks here. Lightning, red, red stripe on the light pole means you hit it here. You spun out here, right? They can build it all together. And they can use the facts. But they're just facts. They're not... They, 
the police officer wasn't a witness to what had happened. There's no emotional connection there. There's nothing that says, like, hey, I got to really learn from my lesson, right? Like, like, there's something more intimate about being a witness to it. Or even somebody that was, happened to be standing on the side of the road would have been able to go, I know exactly what happened. I saw it all. Now, they may not be able, and this is really important, as a witness, you may not be able to connect every dot. You may not be able to say, I don't, know ex- I don't know how this piece happened. It's still a little unknown. Hey, for my accident, there's still pieces in that story. I don't really know what happened. I don't know why I took my boots off. <laughs> like, I, I just don't know, right? Um, somebody from an analytical side would be able to say, well, here's the facts, right? What he's telling us is that we're witnesses. There's, there's this intimacy. There's this intimate knowledge with us and our Savior. That's what we are. We're witnesses to this. We were part of this. There is something different than just us collecting facts. And that's what I want. As we're stepping through this, I want us to think about it in that context. Because the reality is, is that we have witnessed God in our lives. Maybe not the same way that the disciples did. If you turn over to Acts chapter 10. Because the disciples had the luxury of watching the whole thing. <laughs> they watched the whole thing play out, didn't they? And we sit here and go, well, if I had just watched it all, then I would have all the facts, and it would be different. Let's go to Acts chapter 10, verse 34. This is Peter as he's in Cornelius' house. He, he's, he's realizing that the gospel goes to everybody. That this isn't just an Israel thing. This isn't just based on your birth. Like, this is for everybody. And this is what he says. It says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Some translations will say favoritism. Meaning like, it's not just the, these people anymore. It's, it's everybody. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. Who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead and he commanded us, listen to this, to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There's three things at the end there. That he's the judge of the living and the dead. Forgot one of them. Hang on. (laughs) Fulfillment of the prophets. And that we have forgiveness of sins. How did his life, death, and resurrection prove those three points? They don't. I mean, they, they prove that he had power over death, but there's, there's nothing in that 
that necessarily tells you, oh, well, I know these facts. I know Jesus lived, he healed some people, he was crucified, he rose from the grave. Therefore, I'm an adopted child of God. I've got forgiveness of sins. All the prophets had proven that he was the Messiah, right? Like you wouldn't, you can't connect those without what? The Holy Spirit. Understanding the scriptures. This is why Jesus go, opens their minds, helps them to understand all the scriptures. From the history past, they go, now it all makes sense. I understand this. You see, we stand on the shoulders of, of theologians for 2,000 years who have gone, okay, well, put this rock here and then put this rock here. And if you see this, okay, there. You understand why you have forgiveness of sins? But the reality is, is for us to actually know this, it's the Holy Spirit that reveals this to us. Look back at Luke. Um, actually, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Sorry, I'm going to skip ahead there, Robert. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God. Sorry, yeah. But the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Mark this in your Bibles. Write this verse down. Dwell on this this week. Because this... This changes how you understand who you are in Christ. What does it mean to be a witness? We have been given spiritual truths. This Holy Spirit gives us understanding, allows us to comprehend the scripture, and allows us to apply the scripture, apply the gospel into our lives. In the circumstances that everybody's living, I mean, just pick a topic, right? Everybody's going through this corporately, if you're part of humanity, but we as Christians have the gospel and that this Holy Spirit reveals to us how we apply our worldview, a biblical worldview, to that problem set. That's the difference. Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that's from God. And that last part of the verse is absolutely beautiful. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. This just reinforces the idea that, that not everybody's going to understand what you're saying. Not everybody's going to grasp the gospel message that you're proclaiming, right? Not everybody's going to go, when you say, hey, I need you to, you should just continue to forgive. You go, I don't want to keep forgiving. This person continues to hurt me over and over and over again. No, I don't want to forgive them. And then you apply the spiritual truth of Scripture the forgiveness that we've received in Christ. And it changes the equation for those who are spiritual, for those 
that the, who have the Holy Spirit. You see the difference there? It's, it, it allows people to understand. And so, really, from a fundamental perspective, what are we witnesses of? If we're not witnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, I mean, we, we go to the Gospels as witness accounts. What are we witnesses of, then? We're witnesses of grace. We're witnesses of God's grace in our lives. So let's just... I don't want to go too far down this, this rabbit hole or this tangent, okay? A lot of times we think that um, we want to see miracles. We want to see things happen because it, it feeds our flesh. <laughs> because we like, we like seeing it. It's cool. It's awesome to be a part of those things. In fact, there's a bunch of people that go and, and follow Jesus, and he even condemns them because he's like, you're just coming out here to see signs. You're just coming out here to, to, to see me work as God. You're not coming out here in faith. And so we got to be careful that we aren't looking for that in our lives. What does the Holy Spirit do that only the Holy Spirit can do? Change hearts. Is that not a miracle? Is that, is that not a miracle enough for us? That somebody who is far off from God turns, repents, confesses Christ as their Savior and becomes a witness and starts proclaiming Christ in their life and you just watch this happen? Is that not miraculous? Why, why do we need to see water turned into wine or feeding of 5,000, or miraculous healings. How about a changed heart? And so this is the point. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is why Jesus says, you're gonna do more powerful things, greater works than these. What did Jesus do? He brought people back to life. He healed people. He allowed them to see and to walk, all sorts of things. And then he tells the disciples, you're gonna do greater things. What greater things could you possibly do than bringing Lazarus back from the dead? change a heart, eternity, through the Holy Spirit. You guys get this. You get the weight of this. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What does he call us to? We're witnesses of that, of grace, of being rescued, of having our minds convicted and our hearts shaped and changed. Like that's the miracle that we get to be a witness of. And we get to see other people's lives changed by the gospel. And so we can say, no, actually, 
the gospel's real. The gospel applies to my life. God rescued me. He pulled me out of darkness. He changed the affections of my heart. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how the car crashed. I just saw it happen. I was just driving. You know, I don't know how my heart changed. And I share this with a lot of you guys. I didn't like people six years ago and before. <laughs> I can't tell you where that changed. I, can't, I definitely didn't change it myself. These are the pieces and parts that we can be witnesses to. This is the, these are the pieces of parts where we're testifying to God's grace, his undeserved favor on us. I didn't, I didn't earn anything. I was a jerk. What did I earn? Nothing. But God miraculously changed my heart. And you all probably have similar circumstances where you can say, man, this is, this is where my life changed. This is where God reached in and changed my life. And maybe, I mean, it's gonna be different for all of us. And that's, that's the beautiful part, by the way, because it is different for all of us. Some of you have been in rebellion from God and you're, you've just been running and running and running. And, you're, and the, the part of God's grace that you see is that he hasn't stopped chasing you. And you go, he never stopped chasing me no matter how many times I ran away from him. He still chased me down until I stopped running. Maybe, maybe yours is, man, you, you've been struggling with sin and, and you, you know Christ, but, but man, like it just, it's been invading your life and you're like, I just can't kick this. And you've tried and tried and tried in all of your efforts to do this. And then somebody says, have you asked God to take it from you? And you, and you change the verbiage in your prayers now. And you go, God, I don't want the strength to do this. I want your strength to do this. It's just a pronoun. Just a pronoun difference. Changes everything. Not my strength, your strength. And maybe, maybe that's your testimony. That's, maybe that's where you see God's grace in your life. It doesn't matter what, what's the conflict in your life that maybe, maybe you start speaking in a different way. I've shared with you guys before, you know, for a long time I was praying for this guy that was just a jerk that I worked with and I didn't, I didn't uh, and I was praying, you know, um, change me, help me, help me respond to him better, help me, help me defend myself better, help me to do all these things. And then God goes, why don't you pray for him? You care about his salvation? Why don't you pray for him? And like that, <laughs> like within a week, Everything changed. I've never talked to him about it. And I don't know how it worked. I don't know how it happened. But I can tell you it happened. These are the things that we're witnesses of. And we're entrusted witnesses. We're called to serve the world. He says in Judea and Samaria, right? Like go out. We're sent out to proclaim this. This isn't, you can sit here and reflect on it and you go, Man, I love being an adopted child of God. Okay, now what? <laughs> what are you doing with that? What does God expect of you? He expects you to be a witness. Go back to that 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Verse 17. Listen to this. 
He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You guys remember when we were going through this way back when, that word ministry, minister, is service. It's the same word. We are to serve others by telling them about this reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is why our lives have meaning. This is the message that we're to take, that God wants to reconcile with you. How do you know that, Jonathan? Because he did it to me, because I'm a witness. That's how I know, that God wants peace with you, and you're not gonna be the one that's gonna take the first step because you're rebellious, and I was rebellious. But look at what he does. He does this. He affected this through Christ 2,000 years ago on the cross. He took our sins away. And so you go, he wants to reconcile you. Do you want to be reconciled to the creator of the universe? Because that's what he has in store for you. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. It's through us. This is how God works in people's lives. Through the Holy Spirit. Through us. Imparting words, spiritual truths, discerning spiritual truths. Right? That's what we read. We're witnesses, you guys. We've been entrusted with this ministry of reconciliation. So we are to go out into the world, in our schools, in our work, and wherever, in our neighborhoods. This is what we're to proclaim. Look what he says next in verse 20. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. <laughs> we implore you. Preaching to myself, you guys. <laughs> when was the last time we, we felt implored to share the ministry of reconciliation to others? When have we felt this burden weigh on us? I'm with you. I've got the same answer. <laughs> but this is where Paul was at when he's writing to the Corinthians. He's like, I'm a, I implore you. Why? Why? Why does Paul want them to be reconciled to God? What does he get from it? He gets nothing. What do they get from it? 
They find peace and contentment. They find the answers. They find the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, which gives them the ability to understand spiritual truths that the world can't understand. It gives them the ability to apply the gospel into their lives and to answer the questions that the world doesn't have good answers for. That's why. And so we ought to be saying this to our friends and families. Like, please, just, just listen to this. Listen to this story. I'm a witness to this. This happened in my life. How do you explain it? This is God. This is God's grace. He wants to reconcile with you. Be reconciled to God. That's the ministry we've been given. When Peter and John were arrested and they were brought before the council in Acts chapter 4, they tell them, stop. Stop preaching about Jesus. Stop it. I don't like this, <laughs> right? This is the Sanhedrin. The, the religious leaders of the day were like, you need to stop preaching. Stop telling people about Jesus. It says, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. There are witnesses. What do you want me to do? You can't, you can't change the truth in my life. You can't change what God has done and shaped in my life. You can't change the circumstances that he's brought me through. My daughter has a sticker on, on her uh, uh, whatever water bottle thing. And it says, um, uh, rock bottom has a basement. <laughs> But that's, that's where so many people are at, right? You're like, sure, you can go read a bunch of self-help stuff. It's not going to do anything. It's not. We have this ministry of reconciliation. We have the ability to, to speak spiritual truths into people's lives and to proclaim the gospel, and to say, I implore you, be reconciled to God, because this will fix it, whatever it is. Because God wants us living as witnesses of him. Let me pray.